Our Old Testament passage today picks up in Leviticus chapter 21 with verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his father, his mother, his son, his daughter, and his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. He shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God and shall not profane the name of their God. For they shall offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, and therefore they shall be holy. Now notice the bald patches on the heads. Now that's not referring to being called bow like me nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make cuts on their bodies. This was all forms of worship of false gods. This was all forms of worship of false gods. He said, listen, I don't want you to, I don't want them to worship me like they worship these other demonic, these other demons. I, I don't want that. You know, the, the mutilation of the body, the cuts on their body, this is such a part of demonic worship. They shall be holy to the Lord their God, and shall not profane the name of their God. For they shall offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. All right, so notice there are different rules. There are different rules for spiritual leadership. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord your God, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned in fire. So in other words, the daughter of a priest could not be out in prostitution and sexual immorality. The priest, who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. Now again, remember, all this being around dead bodies was a sanitation law. And this guy is the spiritual leader of a nation, so he has to be very careful to maintain his health. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has any blemish may approach to offer the bread of their God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings, since he has a blemish. 
he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. Now, you, you look at all that and say, okay, I'm going to put a question mark next to that. God didn't want anybody with a defect in a position of spiritual authority. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy thing. So there's provision there, but there were just certain spiritual ministries he was not allowed. He shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. Chapter 22, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, so that they abstain from the holy things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name, I am the Lord. Say to them, If any one of all your offspring throughout all your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off of my presence, I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he's clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean through contract with a dead man or a man who has an omission of semen. And whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever the uncleanness may be. The person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat of the holy things until he has bathed his body in water. Now, I know this gets tedious, but we need to read all of the scriptures, all right? Verse 7. When the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterwards he may eat of the holy things because they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of itself or is torn by a beast and so make himself unclean I am the Lord. Now, we, we get this, dies of itself or torn by beasts, because we're dealing with rotted flesh. We're dealing with disease. They shall therefore keep my charge, lest they bear sin for it and die, and there, thereby when they profane it, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. A lay person may not eat of the holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired worker shall eat of a holy thing. If a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat it and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter marries a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy things. But if a priest's daughter is widowed or divorced or has no child and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat of her father's food, yet no layperson shall eat of it. If anyone eats of a holy thing unintentionally, he shall add a fifth of its value to it and give the holy thing to the priest." They shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, which they contribute to the Lord, and so cause them to bear iniquity and guilt by eating their holy things. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel present a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has blemish, for it would not be acceptable to you. All right. So you don't offer things with a blemish. Here's a, a truth of giving. You give your best. Because God gave his best. He gave his only son without sin. When anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the goat to be accepted, it must be perfect. There must be no blemish in it. 
because all of this foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember, there's ceremonial law that foreshadows Jesus. There's uh, dietary law. There's sanitation laws. All of these laws are not about religious things as much as they are about God taking a nation of one million slaves and teaching them how to live healthy and spiritual. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has had its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall do it with, not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there's a blemish in them because they're of their mutilation. They will not be accepted to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it may be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep or her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that it, you may be accepted. So you're doing this for a purpose. It shall be eaten on the same day. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Verse 32. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Let's open up our hearts now. And I, I know Leviticus is tedious. That's why you often hear me say, okay, when, when you're struggling, maybe Leviticus isn't the best book to read. But you know, in devotions, we need to read every word of the Bible every year. Amen? Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Yeah. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up with Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. And they were bringing children to him. I like that. People brought their children to Jesus that he might touch them. I like that too. Have you ever noticed people don't want strangers to touch their children, but they wanted Jesus to touch their children? Now, parents, here's a big thing for you, all right? You need to constantly be coming and saying, Jesus, I bring you my son. I bring you my daughter. I want you to touch them. That is a prayer of your heart. And the disciples rebuked them. They rebuked these parents from bringing their children to Jesus to be touched. <laughs> now, I'm sure that the apostles meant well, please. Okay, I mean, but the apostles had to learn just like all of us had to learn. Children were important to Jesus. That's the next generation. Jesus was going to die for them also. So yes, these children were important to Jesus. Folks, bring your children to Jesus. Bring your children to God's house. Bring your children to Jesus in prayer. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, here's one of those lists that I tell you about, all right? Here's a list. Things that make Jesus upset. This upset Jesus. And in your little journal book, you, you keep a little list. You have a page with things that upset Jesus. This upset Jesus. He said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I like that. To such belong the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Have you ever noticed how a child receives everything? Thank you. K kids are just, when you give a kid something, or you promise a kid something, they just in simple faith believe you and they say thank you. One of the most beautiful things, sometimes I like to give the kids magnum bars. And when you give a kid a magnum bar, they come up to my office and I'll be looking forward to the kids and I got a feeling when this whole COVID thing is done, I'm going to have to buy a freezer full of magnum bars for the kids because they're all, Pastor, you promised us magnum bars. Pastor, you promised magnum bars. But I've never known a kid when you offered them a magnum bar to look at it and go, I don't know if I want this or not. A kid just gets big eyes. Thank you. That's how you and I are to receive the kingdom of God. In simple trusting faith that everything in the kingdom is good. When people begin to make you suspicious of the things of God and cynical about the things of God, Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. You, you just need to push through that and keep a real simpleness about it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laid in his hands on them. That's Jesus. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is the rich, young Ruler. All right. So there's three characteristics you have to remember about these guys. Number one, he's rich. Number two, he's young. Number three, he's the ruler of a synagogue. Kaya, he must be very intelligent and very successful. Okay. He's he's been put in charge of the sin of his local synagogue. 
So this guy is rich, he's young, and obviously with a great deal of ability because he's been placed in charge of a synagogue. And he comes and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember Jesus' definition of eternal life, okay? Eternal life equals an experiential relationship with God and the Son. An experiential relationship with God and his Son. That's John the high priestly prayer. And now this is eternal life, that they may know you. And the Greek word is epignosis, know by experience. So experiences in God, experiences with the Father, experiences with the Son. So this is what he's asking for. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he's asking, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. Are you saying that I'm God? Do you recognize that I am the son of God? Is this what you're saying? He said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear fault witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said, teacher, now notice, no good. There's no good here now. Now he just calls him teacher. All right, so he's downgraded who Jesus is. He's no longer good teacher. He's just teacher. There's a subtlety there. All these I have kept from my youth. Now, notice one, two, three, four, five, six commands. Six commands that all focus on our horizontal relationships. Horizontal relationships, our relationships with people. See, religion always focuses on these great relationships with all the people around you. How to be a better friend, how to, how to get along with your friends, how to have a better emotional IQ, all these things. He said, you know what, I'm really good at all this, Jesus. Man, everything about other people, I'm really good at. My EQ is really good, God. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow. That is a wow. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There was no animosity in Jesus' heart. Even though he downgraded his respect, it's no longer good teacher, showing that he's God, it's just teacher. And even though the guy's a little proud, says I'm perfect in all these horizontal relationship things, Jesus loved him. And so, and said to him, so this flows from love. He said, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. What? What an incredible... This is just... Look at that. He said, okay, one thing you lack. You've got a problem with generosity. You've got a problem with generosity. You're not a giver. 
You've got everything going with people, but you're not a giver. Now, greed is like idolatry, Paul says. So greed's got to get out of people's lives. He says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, people say, oh, and I know that there are some churches that tell people that in order to truly be saved, they have to give everything they own to the church and start from zero again. That's not what Jesus, this is not a salvation thing. This is actually an invitation to maybe become an apostle. I mean, you have to understand what this is. This isn't just, you know, Jesus didn't just say this to everybody. He looked at this young man and loved him. And he offered him an opportunity. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That was an opportunity to be trained to perhaps become an apostle. We know that there were at least 80 plus people that followed Jesus. He chose 12 to be apostles. This guy could have been one of the 12. Could have been. This is one of those verses in the Bible that I call sad verses. These are the could-have-beens. Now, notice, he says, sell all that you have, just like all of the apostles. Remember the apostles said, Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. He said, I'm offering you an opportunity to do what all these other men here have done. Give up everything and follow me. He said, and give it to the poor. Jesus didn't say give it to me. He said, go give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. He said, all right. There's going to be treasure in heaven. And how do, how much does Paul teach us that when there's treasures in heaven, that's how God provides for us? Our, our credit scores in heaven, so to speak. Not our credit scores, but our, our credits in heaven. That we lay up treasure in heaven. And he said, and then come follow me. Now, notice the phrase, come follow me. That is an answer to eternal life. He said, Jesus, I want to have relationship experiences with God. And Jesus said, done, come follow me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, if he would have just been willing to give up his money, to give up everything, just like every one of the apostles did, if he would have been willing to do that, he might have been one of the 12. It's a very interesting thought. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, there's a scary thought. He was discouraged by what Jesus said. He wasn't encouraged. He wasn't excited about it. He was discouraged. Kawawa. And he went away sorrowful because he wouldn't give up what he had. He wouldn't give up what he had. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, beloved, people don't like that verse. Another translation, another, another one of the stories in the Gospels, how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Sometimes you see young people whose parents grew up poor and God has been good to them, and God has blessed them. And you see the second generation that have grown up with their own bedroom, they've grown up driving cars, they've had nice clothes, and they know that they have an inheritance when their parents die. They're not willing to give up anything 
Sometimes they even want to be preachers, but they're not willing to give up anything. Now, brothers and sisters, when you see people like that, you just have to understand that there's two gods in this world, or really there's more than that, but Jesus was pretty clear. You cannot follow God. You cannot serve God and serve money. You'll, be, you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. There has to come a decision early on in your walk with God that God means more to you than money. They say, well, pastor, how do you deal with that? Well, I can tell you how I've dealt with it most of my life. I give almost everything I have away. If you'd look at my bank account, you would be embarrassed. My, my daughter sat me down one day, not too long ago, and said, Dad, now when you finish the house, because we sold our other house, and we're taking all, well, not all of that money, because we, we did some other things with it to help the church, but most of that money we got from our house sale, we, we put into building a new house. She said, now, Dad, when you're done with the house, you have to start saving money in case anything happens to you and you go to heaven before mom. Because she said, Dad, I know you don't have savings. The way I've always dealt with wealth is you give it away. See, if you have something, that's one thing. But if that something has you, then you have a problem. Anything you're not willing to give up controls you. So I've taught pastors all of my life. The easiest way to make sure you're not controlled by money is just keep giving. Now, you'll find that there are people in life that are givers, and you find other people that are takers and users. Now, the givers, you don't ever have to worry too much about them, but the takers and the users, you have to be careful of because they always want to receive. They always want more for themselves. But if you'll learn that this is how you can control it, you, you can prosper as long as you're willing to always keep giving things away. Always be a blessing to other people. I take it a step farther. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. it's, it's, It's not that easy. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, the eye of a needle is a type of gate. You know, this is the wall. You usually have these big gates. Well, the eye of a needle would be when they fill all of this in with stone and things until there's just this little, little part left down here. And they would fill in these big gates so that when armies attacked, they couldn't get through. Okay, that's the eye of a needle. And so he said it's easier for a camel because a camel will have to get down and crawl through it. All right. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's really hard for rich people to be truly saved. Now, again, people don't like it when you teach that because you have to understand money can't control you. They were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, this is about salvation. We always quote that verse about miracles and healings and answered prayer. But what Jesus is talking about is salvation. See, I don't think the average Christian understands how difficult it was for them to be saved. No, Pastor, it was just so easy. You know, Jesus makes it look easy. But it wasn't easy. And I'm not just talking about on the provision side. I'm talking about the acceptance side. People have to face their sins. 
people have to face their need of salvation. They have to face their need of forgiveness. They have to face this, the fact that they're on their way to hell without a savior. I mean, it is to, to accept all of that takes tremendous spiritual humility. And honestly, I think that's given to us by mercy. So this whole thing with man is impossible, but not with God, you're going to have to understand all things are possible with God. Rich people can get saved, but it's difficult. Peter began to say to them, see, we have left everything and followed you. All right. The apostles left everything. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. You know, sometimes people say, Pastor Summer, why are you so hard on the SPS and the MSPS? Because, you know, I found that people who just live home with their rich families and they come and take a few Bible school classes and then they graduate and they want to be a pastor, I found out they don't make good pastors because they've never sacrificed anything. They went to Bible college instead of going to a regular college. So we changed it from a Bible college to a school of pastoral studies. And from the time a young person comes to school now, they have to work following people up, getting people saved, doing the work at the ministry, just like the apostles had to follow Jesus everywhere. They have to follow ministry leaders around everywhere. And for three years, or sometimes four years in our SPS classes, they learn the life of the ministry. But I found that when you just let people stay home and live in their nice house and Mommy and daddy provide everything for them, and they've never really sacrificed anything. They have a real hard time in the ministry. Peter said, we left everything to follow you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one. Now, you've got to get a hold of this. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or church or lands for my sake and for the gospel. For my sake, number one, and for the gospel, number two who will not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I want you to notice prosperity for preachers. I want you to notice when a man or a woman of God has left everything, they've sacrificed everything for Jesus and for the gospel. In this life... In this life, houses, not just one house, houses. Now, I haven't seen that promise fulfilled in my life yet, but houses. Brothers, I look around the church and I see all my brothers. Sisters, I look around the church and see all my sisters. Mothers, you know how many, all through the 41 years I've been your pastor, how many mothers I've had in this church taking care of me and bringing me food. And my tabat shows the proof of that. Children. All the kids in the church that we get to play with, well, not during COVID-19, but you know what I mean. Lands, now notice, lands, plural. So houses, plural, lands, plural, and family, plurality. Because you gave up everything for Jesus and for the gospel. But notice, with persecution. The one thing that a preacher has to understand is that as God prospers them, they will be persecuted. That's just life. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Okay? 
You can't say, well, I started earlier, so I should have more than that person. I, I teach young pastors. You know, you, you can't say, all right, I've served God for five years, so I should have this. Why do they have more than I have when they've been serving God less time than me? You can't say that. First shall be last, and the last shall be first. He said, you know, but notice, and many. It does not say this is a hard, fast rule. So this is not a hard, fast rule. This is a potential. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You know, I've had friends all my life that have made fun of me because we didn't, ha we didn't have much in their eyes. And I look at my life now and I go, man, I'm a very prosperous person. I'm very blessed. God's been good to me. Would you, would you look at what God's done for me? But, you know, it kind of came last. It, it took, you know, how many decades where others seem to get all of their prosperity early and their blessings early for their sacrifice, I kind of came last. So you, you can't put hard, fast rules on this and say, well, I've served God for 15 years and that person's only been serving God for three years and they have more than I do. God's not fair. You can't do that. But neither can you look at pastors and think pastors have to be poor. That's not what this is all about. Jesus promised in this life a hundredfold return, not just of assets, but of relationships. So notice there, assets and relationships. And you know what? Maybe the relationships parts are the best. <laughs> and they were going on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, this was common for the rabbi. Rabbi went first. This was very common in their culture. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, now notice, this is private teaching. There are some teaching that you do privately. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. He said, see, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, how many times have I showed you that Jesus taught the apostles exactly what was going to happen? And every time I read this, and after three days, he will arise, I just wonder, why? Why were the apostles not standing outside of the tomb waiting for the resurrection? I mean, if Jesus kept saying it, maybe because of the grief. You know, watching him die, the horrible, gruesome death that he died. You know, I know the Mel Gibson movie is hard to watch and hard to stomach. I understand that. But, you know, I watched the crucifixion part a couple of times. Yeah, it's hard to watch. I, I grant it to you. But when they saw it in reality, not just with movie props, you know that has to affect the heart. Sometimes grief causes you to forget great promises. Sometimes grief causes you to forget great promises. Grief affects the soul. Not remember the promises. All right, we've got just a little bit of time left. Let's get into Proverbs today. Proverbs 11. How about if we read it to you from the New Living Translation again? Will that be all right? It is foolishness to belittle one's neighbor. Wow. 
It is foolish to put down your neighbor, to always be speaking against other people. He said, you know, it's foolish to get on, if we're going to apply today, to get on Facebook and always be criticizing other people. He said, it's foolish. A sensible person keeps quiet. I like that. Are you a sensible person? Then just keep quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. So anybody who's going around telling secrets, New English Version Standard says, whoever goes around slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You know, when you find people going around slandering people, telling everybody their secrets, telling everybody things that maybe even they've made up and they think is secret, you need to understand something. That person's a gossip. That person's English Standard Version, a slanderer. And you need to understand, if you hang out with that person, I promise you, you will be the topic of conversation to somebody else one day. You will, you will be the recipient of it. Without leadership, wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. Now notice, without wise leadership, a nation falls. Not, not with, with talented leadership, wise leadership. There's a difference here between wisdom and ability, okay? There's a danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It is safer not to guarantee another person's debt. Now, one of the things I've learned in my short life, and I, I teach the, the, the Entrepreneur Fellowship and the Kasaganatan Fellowship this truth, don't, don't co-sign loans for people. When you, when you co-sign loans for people, uh, there's a danger. And here's the danger. They don't feel a pressure to make sure that debt is paid. So you're sitting over here just living your life, enjoying your life, but you co-signed a loan for somebody else. And they would rather do something else with their money. So they spend their money on something else, and then they don't pay the debt. And then all of a sudden, the bank calls you, and you have to come up with the money in a hurry because they didn't feel a pressure to pay the debt because you co-signed it. It is safer not to guarantee another person's debt. Now, here's a beautiful one. A gracious woman gains respect. Not a nagging woman, not a that, 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 that kind of a woman. A gracious woman gains respect. Ladies, do you want respect? Now, now, ladies, straight up, do you want respect? Then be gracious. People don't, people do not respect mean-spirited women. The mean girl from high school, the mean girl from college. People don't respect that. A gracious woman gains respect. But ruthless men gain only wealth. Wow. Ruthless men, guys that will do anything for money. Ruthless men that don't care about the feelings of anybody else. The only thing they gain is wealth. Now, brothers and sisters, I got news for you. There's no money in the world worth just having money. If you don't have friends, if you don't have people around you that love you, you know, life just isn't worth anything. Your kindness will reward you but your cruelty will destroy you. Don't be cruel to people. Don't speak cruel words that are designed to hurt people. Never, never get into that mess. I told you the other day, Brother Osteen's one of his famous sayings, not Joel, but his daddy, John. He said, make your words sweet because one day you're going to eat them. 
your kindness, doing kind things for people will reward you. You know, it's funny, after you live a few years, you begin to see this coming back to you. And you see people doing things for you. And there was a lady who did a kind favor for my family not too long ago. And she, after she'd done all of this, I said, why are you being so kind to us? She said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, I, I said I'm sorry. I said, have you attended our services? No. She said, you really don't remember me, do you? And she was the daughter of a pastor in the province that Sister Bev and I gave a lot of help to at one point in time. And then she brought out her daughter and said, this is the granddaughter of the man that you helped. This is the little girl that was in the hospital that had just been born. And you helped my dad and he was able to get the medicine and pay the hospital bills for my, for my daughter. She said, so thank you. She said, this is my way of saying thank you. And I just said, that. I said, I looked at my wife and I, do you remember that? I, I don't hardly remember that either. I mean, you know, when she starts talking about it, you, you vaguely remember it. But you have to understand your kindness. Being kind to people will always bring a reward to your life. It, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But at some point in your life, your kindness will bring a reward. But cruelty, the only thing that cruelty does is destroy you. All right. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp. We'll have a wonderful time back in the Book of Romans.